What's up, former party people? This is Jerry, you know, the one who actually combs his hair on the A is for Alcoholic podcast. Now, if you're finding value in listening to the AIFA podcast every week and you want to support sharing it with others, we invite you to become a sustaining monthly or per show contributor. Go to patreon.com backslash AIFA. It's super easy and it only takes a quick moment. It's about as easy as buying one of those pre-cooked space chickens from the grocery store, taking it outside, giving it a big old kiss, and kicking it into traffic. <laughs> Why would you do that? Anyway, you do you, and I'll do me. Again, go to patreon.com backslash AIFA. And with that, people, let's start the show. A is for Alcoholic is a program about recovery. My name is John, and I'm an alcoholic. And my name is Jerry, and I'm an alcoholic. Join us as we go through the alphabet of alcoholism one letter at a time. Bam. Janet Jackson Rhythm Nation. Yes. So, the presenting sponsor of A is for Alcoholic is the Green Camel Press. We talked about this last week and the week before. Green Camel Press... They are a design firm with an old school aesthetic in a digital age. Um, We are currently launching our new line of greeting cards, spring greeting cards. Some of them a little um, on the risque, a little, little, (laughs) they are. I mean, I don't know what else to say. You haven't seen them, have you? No, I have not been sent a dirty greeting card. (laughs) Would you like to be sent a dirty greeting card? Yeah. Oh, I saw that one. That's like <laughs> that's like auntie risque. There's well yeah. It's the, good though. No, it's not discounted. No, I'm they're saying. kind of well, yeah, auntie risque. Yeah. So As far as my moral standards. No, no. I don't think that you would be offended by any of these, but I no. feel like a couple of them are not something that you would give to your mom. But Oh yeah, right that. I wouldn't give that one to my but mom. But there's some really sweet ones too. The bears are always a popular one, right? Those are those yeah, are cute. The, it's two bears hugging and it says I love you. There there's the sweet egret. There's that egret. It's yeah. very nice. So there's some no, there's some other no egrets. No egrets. There's the yeah. strange and interesting uh alien rabbit. Oh yeah. <laughs> I don't know dystopian. what he means, but it's yes. It's like a dystopian world. So we've got greeting cards. We're working on some labels for some products. We are doing we do the digital doodles which are we take time-lapse video of drawings and we chop them up. I put them in the Final Cut Pro. I add some music and some effects, and it's fun little things. But Mm -hmm. the one product that we do have that if you enjoy this show, you should go to greencamelbreast.com and pick up a Uh, T-shirt. They are comfy and lovely. They're uh, the next-level apparel and Jerry, tell me again about how much you enjoy this shirt. <laughs> I love this shirt. It's minty green, like hospital green, mm-hmm. so it keeps you nice and calm. I feel calm and serene when I wear it. Mm-hmm. You know what I like about this shirt is it is long but not too long. The thing about shirts is when you buy them in small, medium, they start getting short. So then if I like lift my arms up, I'm just giving everyone a show they don't want. But this shirt shirt is long enough that if I lift my arms up, you know what I mean? Like it's not all like appendicitis scar and <laughs> It fits really well. It's and it's comfortable. Before the podcast, I asked John for the name of the brand of the shirt so I could see maybe I could buy a bunch of blank ones mm-hmm. just to rock out because it's a well fitting shirt. Plus, the design on it is simple and and classic. It's almost like a vintage shirt, almost almost like a vintage shirt. So yeah. there you go. There's, yeah, not too much going on. Very retro. It's rad. Mm-hmm. Um, I also wanted to let everybody know. So yeah, go to greencamelpress.com. Go check us out. See what you think. Tell us what you think. Greencamelpress at gmail.com. Um, mm-hmm. And get a shirt. You'll love it. I got them right here. I'm waiting. Yeah. Um, great. Also, on our Patreon page, we are going to be recording another one of our movie reviews. So if yeah. you haven't checked that out, we did... Um, what was the last one we did? Uh, Everything Must Go. Uh, Everything Must Go, Will Ferrell vehicle. And the one that'll be out shortly is going to be Pollock, which is a much heavier film than the Will Ferrell one. Yeah. 2001, Ed Harris, Mm -hmm. Marsha Gay Harden. Yes. Jeffrey Uh, Tambor. Jeffrey Tambor. Doesn't look look like the Tamb. Hey now. Anyway. Hey now. (laughs) Um, So yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's our sponsorship 
business. Mm-hmm. Um, so to get to the meat of the show, uh, this week's word is M is for maladjusted. Word. And I think it's a word that we can all, I mean, I assume that we, we as alcoholics often feel and that the idea that you are maladjusted or a misfit or don't don't fit into society or school or or your own family and um that's when oftentimes we go to seek out some kind of connection whether it be alcohol or drugs or whatever your your vice is but i know that it was definitely something i grew up with was feeling yeah. sort of out of place and out of sorts. And um, I mean, I don't know if I was born that way. I definitely know that through um, like growing up with, with my dad being abusive and kind of that weird, um, you know, when somebody you trust and you you can't trust the person you're supposed to trust kind of right. thing, um, it kind of makes you feel out of place. I was also want to, you know, I was, we were, we were poor, um, growing up. And so that was always a thing as well. And so mm-hmm. trying to find those things that made you feel good. And, you know, in the beginning it was those little antihistamine tablets when I was like 14. Did I ever tell you oh, that? Oh yeah. Where you were, you're popping ben- Benny's dude, <laughs> Benadryls. Yeah. It was some generic. It was like Albertson's Benadryl or something like that. And I just remember uh-huh. I was like, I took one. I remember taking them for like I had a cold or something and then I was like, gosh, I feel kind of sleepy and kind of weird and fuzzy. And it's like, oh, I can do this. And it just became a way of coping with the pain at home or not having, finding friends at school, that kind of thing. Cause I was mm-hmm. picked on a lot growing right. up. Um, and I didn't. So were you just were you just chopping them up and snorting them? Or? No, no, I was only fourteen. Just I had to chopping up a rail of Benadryl <laughs> and just like Mia Wallace no. in Pulp Fiction, just doing it. No, well, I was just eating them at the time, um, and then later, and then later, I, I would swipe my dad's uh, muscle relaxers, which was like a whole nother level. That's like five levels up from Benadryl, <laughs> dude. <laughs> um, but I remember in. Did I, I didn't tell you the story. Have we talked no, about uh-uh. this? No, not you and the Benadryl, <laughs> nor the muscle relaxers. But the muscle relaxers wouldn't surprise me. I've eaten muscle relaxers with you in the past. Mm-hmm. It was Soma that my dad had, and he had a lot of health problems. And, yeah, um, yeah the Somas aren't bad. <laughs> and I remember I would take one to school with me in the morning. Like I'd get up early uh-huh. and, you know. And like what, the eighth grade, ninth grade? This would have been ninth grade. High school. So this is high grade, school. Freshman year. The mm-hmm. year is 1992. Something like three? that. 91, 92. Yeah. 91, 92. Somewhere yeah. around there. So, you know, vanilla Nirvana. Ice. Vanilla Ice. Vanilla Ice, Nirvana. Helmet. CNC. Oh, Helmet. CNC Music, CNC music Factory. <laughs> yes. All right. So, yeah, we can do this all night. But And it was geometry class was my first period. So, uh-huh. and my second period was driver's ed with coach Cambaloni yeah. and now, but we used to call him coach Ramboloni because <laughs> we were <laughs> fucking 14 years old. This is your PE teacher. <laughs> yeah. This, he, I don't okay. think he was my PE teacher, but, um, he was a PE teacher, but he taught driver's ed, which I didn't think I had to pay oh. attention in. So nah, 10 minutes right. before yeah. geometry class was over. I would go, I would take my, I would be like, can I go to the bathroom? And I would go and I'd get the pill and I would get to go get a drink of water at the fountain. And I would be flying high by the time I got to driver's ed. So for like that 50 minutes, I would just sit in the back and like just nod out. And I had a couple of friends and I used to steal candy bars from the band kids in front of me, like out of the boxes they had by their desks. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. It was terrible, terrible behavior. Right. But I mean, oh, yeah. there were times I'd just be There's drooling at like... Drugged out candy thief. <laughs> Pretty much, man. And just trying to find... And those people that that connected with me were other people who who didn't mind hanging out with a drugged out candy thief, right? Right. You, they might get drugs or candy. Exactly. That, right? So everybody... there Again, I don't know that all of them were addicts, but I think that there was a lot of addictive behavior. There was a lot of... Right. Um, uh, there was a lot of, for a lack of a better word, at least on my part, alcoholic behavior long before alcohol was ever 
um, brought into the system. But right. I definitely felt like an outsider. I definitely felt like a misfit. I didn't fit in at home. Um, I was always on the fringes. People that I admired and looked up to. I mean, we talked about artists and writers and uh, Hunter S. Thompson and any number of movies. What, like Fight Club? It's all about being an outsider and right. celebrating Fear that. Fear and loathing. And Fear and loathing. Bukowski yeah. on the road, Jack Kerouac. I mean, if you mm-hmm. that, if that's not an alcoholic hero, well, I mean, I wouldn't say hero, but I mean, he died at forty six. Icon, icon, he's like an alcoholic icon, you know. Yeah, and yeah. so I was constantly trying to readjust what had been maladjusted, what had been been you know um, been what's the word I'm looking for. Whatever had been broken, I was trying to fix it with drugs. And, right. Mm-hmm. And ultimately with alcohol. When I found alcohol, that was like the bing. That was yeah. even more so than Soma, which Soma was great. But once I realized, you know, you could go fishing down at the 7-Eleven and get some dude to buy you Boone's Hill Farm, and it was no big deal. <laughs> this was my <laughs> life, you know? I know. <clears throat> Boone's Hill and Soma, you were like a five-year-old girl. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, very sensitive. Very, very sensitive. sensitive. And um, that was how it started for me. And I found people who who were really into, like, cool music and, you know, didn't didn't really socialize well with a lot of other people. So you group up mm-hmm. with, like, these other misfit, oftentimes guys, you know, boys. Yeah. Uh, certainly because I wasn't talking to girls at that age. <laughs> right. Um, but that was what launched that sort of... It became this sort of identity, being a misfit, being an outsider. Then it became, mm-hmm. it then becomes, as the drinking progresses, this badge of honor. I don't right. conform. I don't, um, I don't need to do what you tell me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that kind of thing. No, I, you're absolutely right. And it's funny because even during uh, your our career of drinking, we would pride ourselves in the fact that we didn't drink like other drinkers. Yeah, that, like we didn't drink like the status quo. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like Friday and Saturday were amateur night, so uh, all you guys would work bars Friday, Saturday, and watch all the fucking clown show and be like, "Look at all these fucking amateurs. This is all like normal status quo, bridge and tunnel people." And then we would just go act like fucking clowns on Sunday night and mm-hmm. Monday afternoon. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And when it like didn't wasn't deemed the appropriate time. Yeah. To act all stupid. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I think, yeah, I don't, I, I can't speak for a lot of drinkers. I can speak for myself and my attitude. I feel like you kind of mirrored that attitude because we got along for so long. For so long. You know what I mean? That you were like, look at these fucking normies, normal ass drinkers that come out and just let some steam off and try to get laid. Fuck those right? people. That's not, that's not doing it professionally. Yeah, they're not professional. They're not punching in. Mm hmm. Um, you, you also, you ran with a, I don't want to say dangerous crowd, but um, ran with we, a dangerous crowd. We ain't too pretty. We ain't too proud. Um, I'm just sitting there with a lighter <laughs> under my hand, and I'm like, it doesn't hurt. Uh huh. But I. Yeah. So one of the things that I would say in the '90s, and I want kind of want to bring this back to you that would that would be something you would do to be maybe antisocial or to stand out or to be an outsider would be to get a tattoo. Yeah. It was still. It was not safe, right? It was not like. When acceptable. I started, it started becoming a little more acceptable, but it was at the end of that whole thing. But I mean, my idea of being a misfit and being an individual ran tandem. They were hand in hand, mm-hmm. hand in glove, mm-hmm. as we say. You know, speaking of maladjusted, we weren't. I was really disappointed we weren't talking about that Morrissey album <laughs> from what ninety seven. It's not his best album. No, though. it's not. I like no. Uh, but I mean, uh, you got, any, I, What was your first tattoo? Was it? Okay, so I got like a couple of hand pokes growing mm-hmm. up as a kid. I'd hand poke myself and my cousin would hand poke me. And then my first one in a professional one in a shop, I was 16. My mother was really into letting us express ourselves. And like she used to always say, oh, you would walk to the beat of your – all my kids would walk to the beat of their own drummer. You that She always says that, you know. And so she tried to fight it a lot when I was growing up in the 90s because the 90s rebellious thing was to like wear super – I skated, so I wore super baggy clothes and – you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Shave my head and wear a Cypress Hill beanie in 105 degree heat, you know? But I mean, it started like my sense of being maladjusted and outside started as a little, little kid because like I wasn't like, 
I always felt like I wasn't like other little boys. You know, the little boys wanted to play kung fu and karate and wrestle and hit and fucking, you know, kick dogs or whatever they did where I grew up. And mm-hmm. I just, I didn't like that. I liked to read and like think and I was quiet and whiny. I cried a lot. My mom was like, God, you were so whiny. You were a depressed little kid because I was really sad. I was real sensitive. And then it turns out that I had a sensitivity to sugar. I wasn't diabetic. She thought I was. I had so many blood tests as a kid. And they just kept saying, well, you're hypoglycemic, which is just like saying you're allergic, you're allergic. You know what I mean? Like, it's not really a diagnosis. It just meant that I got low blood sugar really badly. So as a kid, I wasn't allowed to eat sugar. So I would have birthday parties. And instead of candy in the piñata, the Mm -hmm. candy would be all toys, like little plastic toys and shit. Like they'd have a separate cake for the kids and then a separate cake for me on my birthday. So they'd all get like a chocolate and vanilla cake and I would get like some fucked up Karab fucking cake, you know, that like had no sugar in it. Like and, white and bread the, with a piece of peach in it or something. Or Word, exactly. It was like, here's some apple slices and cinnamon and chili on it. You know, like, there you go, little Mexican boy. And um, even the candies that I could eat, they were like these hard diabetic candies from fucking uh, Price. Back then it was uh, not Costco. It was what was it called? It was the Price Club. Mm -hmm. And they were like little half dome shaped and they were hard as fuck, man. And they would like stick to your teeth. So like even as a kid, like I'm this little goofy little hunchback, sad crying kid who can't eat candy. I'm like, just pull my fucking pants down in front of everybody now. You know, I'm like, well, you know what I'm saying? Like, just nerd me out now. Just kick my ass now, you know? So, and so when you I were found... getting poked with needles from a very young age. This is Super something that young, started dude. very yeah, early. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so I found when I got older and hit teenagers like you, I didn't really cope a lot with drugs or, or, <clears throat> or any of that shit. I smoked cigarettes and thought I was tough. Mm-hmm. Like the first time I smoked weed, I like second time I smoked weed, I freaked the fuck out because I got I smoked a whole joint by myself and like traveled to the fucking uh, upside down. You know what I'm saying? So I do. like for me, my addictive behaviors were in emotion was in anger because in anger, I felt power. I had a lot of power. I was like a punch a hole in the wall kid growing up, kick a hole in the wall, break mirrors. Just I would break windows. I would fucking cut myself. I got cut myself on purpose and shit. You know, I was like. Those are my methods of coping with all those feelings of being an outsider. And then I smoked weed a little bit after that first time I freaked out. I'd smoke a little bit. But yeah, same here, man. I found booze and I felt power. So to me, it wasn't even about fitting in. Alcohol to me wasn't fitting in. It was power. I felt like I was in control of my feelings and my anger and that I could wield it any way I wanted to. You know, until it got fucking out of hand. Mm -hmm. Isn't that funny? Because I used to say that I would... I didn't like to smoke weed because it made me feel like I lost control, but I had no problem right. drinking because I, in my mind, I was in control because I could count the number of drinks and how it made me feel and how much I needed and how much I wanted and how much was too much. And But by yes. the time I was had too much, I wasn't counting anymore and it was an absolute mess. It almost felt like the ego <laughs> was still in charge, you know, mm-hmm. like that's why I didn't like taking psychedelics, like because I felt like I'd never come back. And I already went to the upside down once by smoking a whole joint by myself. I wasn't going back again for a longer period, you know, I went there a few so, times. Yeah. Yeah. And so like you guys would do acid and I'd be like, you're fucking crazy. I'm just going to drink this whole bottle of Old Crow. Like, <laughs> you know, like I, I can't believe you guys are poisoning yourself with that shit. Glug, glug. I was a know? crow. I became a crow. You did become a crow, crow, you know, and for me, like it was control in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And isn't that what every alcoholic thrives for? I guess. I mean, I can say that that was what this alcoholic thrived for. I think too. Yeah. I mean, well, when I think about how little control I had in my childhood and growing up mm-hmm. in high school and how, and not just, <clears throat> not just that it's difficult to grow up and be a kid and you have yeah, no control sucks. from parents and, <laughs> and school and all that stuff. But I was also, yeah, I had a hell of a time with my dad. And so there was beyond, you know, the abuse and the 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 level of trauma that was inflicted, like that was even more than just not being in control because I didn't have any money or um, ID or you know what I mean. I couldn't go anywhere without somebody saying, "Where's your parents?" So um, I think that's definitely was something like, "Yes, power, control. I have it. Mm-hmm. This makes yeah. me feel strong." Um, and. Getting back to the I, the tattoo because specifically I want oh, okay. why we I just wanted to to oh you want to talk about my maladjusted <clears throat> tattoo 
It's part of why I wanted to pick that word it over just be something else. In the descriptor else. for the podcast is my crooked ass maladjusted <laughs> tattoo that yes. we put on crooked. My I have the word maladjusted in big Times New Roman font on my belly, mm-hmm. like right across my belly in a big arc. Like I, like I was the one prison dude who was like way into fucking Morrissey or something, and I got it from the Morrissey album. But I also got it because I. That's how I always felt. Mm-hmm. I always felt like I didn't. I always felt like I didn't fit. It, which is funny. It's like I inherited it from my dad or something. Because my dad always says that. I think he said it on our podcast. Mm-hmm. If you go back to the Christmas one, he said I never fit, which blew me away. Because socially, my old man just you know he was like a daywalker, like smooth. he fucking had all the jokes and smooth and charismatic, gregarious. Everybody really liked him, and I felt like that like made me sad to think of him internally going, God, I don't. I'm on the outside looking in, you know, it- which is also great oingo boingo song i'm just gonna keep referring <laughs> keep it, back to keep all this it. shit yeah right there's it's i knew a guy i used to work with a guy who was very much gregarious and and got along with anybody who walked into the place and he was an awesome bartender he was a mentor of uh-huh. mine and you know we got to be really close and we got to be friends and he would say john i don't really like doing any of that stuff i really kind of fucking hate it when i gotta do that i just i've learned to be good at it and yeah. i don't feel comfortable you know, and we'd be sitting up drinking, drinking tap wine until, you know, two in the morning or whatever. And, yeah. Um, but it's just so I when you say that about your father, it's it, it it rings true that even though people are perceived that way, what's going on inside mm-hmm. their heads is oftentimes very different from how they act. Right. Yeah. And I think like I, I know we've said it in previous podcasts, but I think this is a really common sentiment. And this is my opinion. This is not mm-hmm. fact that this is common sentiment among alcoholics, mm-hmm. active and recovering, is that we didn't fit. And then I think of the fucking theme song from Cheers, dude, where everybody knows mm. your name. You know yeah. what I mean? You walk in the door and what are they? Hey, Norm, what's up, buddy? Have a seat. Even though Norm's liver is like falling out of his ass, you know, like. And what's the implication from that line in the song that nobody knows who you are out there, that you're nobody, right. that you're nothing? Yeah, exactly. Listen to the fucking words. They're sad as fuck. I mean, it's like maybe... an alco- It's a big fucking alcoholic being like, I want to take a break from all my worries and go into cheers and get fucking blissfully loaded because yeah. being out in the world sucks. And it does suck. I mean, let's. I'll keep it real. Like being out in the world does suck sometimes. Most of the time. Yeah. But you know, you got to cope with that. That's life. Um. Just real find the good parts. Well, you gotta do the cheers lyrics. I'm just it's it's fascinating to me that you brought this up, and now that I think about it, it's pretty goddamn sad, right? Yes. And you say making making your way in the world today takes everything you got. So you've given everything of yourself just to make it through this day. And I'm just thinking I've felt that way numerous times. You know, taking a break from all your worries, it sure would help a lot. Like of course you just wanna you just want a little something. Wouldn't you duke like duke. to get away like that, mm-hmm. that feeling of escaping? Like that's all, mm-hmm. that's all I ever wanted to do was to not sometimes not even just feel good, but not feel the way that I'm feeling. I wanted to change the way that I felt. Right. right. Well, what's the next line? Though? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name and how many, Boom. how many times have you been a regular where people knew exactly who it was? You walk through the door silhouette. Exactly. Exactly. So that's the opposite of feeling maladjusted. Now you have connectivity, mm-hmm. which we can even seg into your thing with the connectivity versus addiction. But if mm-hmm. you want to keep with the lyrics, I'm telling you, it's all about connectivity. Dude. It's well. Let me let me go to the Fuck. next line. This is a very short a, yeah. song, but no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Where everybody. <laughs> so we said everybody knows your name, and they're always glad you came. Now mm-hmm. this is. I think this might be. And again, I am projecting. Um, and trying to, uh, this is just how I'm interpreting these lyrics, uh, right. mm-hmm. but, uh, they're always glad you came. Who's glad the, the other people who want to connect the people who, right. the only way they, they, that, that I knew how to connect was to buy somebody a drink, to have a drink, to talk about that sort of misery loves company. So I was always happy to see somebody else who was miserable like me and trying to change that feeling. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to be where you can see the troubles are all the same. Trying to find that yeah. connection, right? Trying to find right. like, oh, we can commiserate. We can be miserable together. And But here in this little cloister, this bar, this place where we get our, we get our medicine and we can talk to people who are just like us. And yeah. we have a bartender who will pour drinks and, and entertain us. And it's, it's a whole thing. 
you you know you want to be where everybody knows your name um you want to you want to go where people know the people where people know the people are all the same you want to go where everybody knows your name um right. but yeah it's i never thought about it until you just right. said it and that's it's it's the maladjusted becoming adjusted because once you're a maladjusted person in a room full of maladjusted people you're all the fucking same mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying Yo, dude, I, you know what surprises me is that you have to read the lyrics of that off your phone because I have it fucking memorized. I could have just told you. I had it completely memorized. I must have watched a lot of Cheers as a kid because I, I have the shit completely memorized. I just didn't want to mess idea anything of, up. of being an outsider mm-hmm. coming into a place where you are now an insider, I mean, it's even in our, po- like you said, it's in our popular culture. The idea of alcohol making you an insider once again. All the commercials, now we got to go to the glitz and glamour. I know mm-hmm. we've covered that, but all the commercials show us all partying and having a good time and being together with one common glue that holds us together and that's getting fucking loaded. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it's a trip, man. And then once we all disperse and... You know what I mean? Then you're like, then you once again, you're a fucking square peg in a round hole, just walking around, waiting till the next time you can go to Cheers. You know, like, yeah, they even don't... if Cheers is your fucking bedroom. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that was there were places I worked where people the vibe was we want to make this like people's second living room. We want it to yeah. feel like home because, of, and maybe that wasn't their intention was to lure sick people in but you know, well, it's the still... service industry is like that though, right? Mm-hmm. Like every restaurant wants to make you feel they want to push off a vibe but bars i think more so what were our favorite bars they were the darkly lit bars with like lots of mood lighting Mm -hmm. a big mirror on the wall maybe a couple of tvs probably playing sports you know but it's like not a lot of yelling maybe a jukebox later on in the night but it was always like another version of our living room yeah it was always just another version of a dimly lit place that played music you liked Mm -hmm. you know that had booze i feel like you know when you talk about what is promoted And I, I think about how I drank near the end. <clears throat> you don't ever see a commercial for like vodka where it's like just the shot of the side of my bed and then my arm falls down with an empty vodka <laughs> bottle and falls to the ground and rolls oh, under man. the bed, you know, like yeah. Tito's. And it's all Tito's. <laughs> it's Make it a Sunday. <laughs> it's the best Sunday ever, you know, like. Yeah. Yeah, just me crying, watching porn mm-hmm. at four in the morning, you know, just. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was thinking yeah. in the bottle would drop Evan and it would pan up, and it would be like noon. <laughs> yeah, oh noon. Yeah, exactly. Evan Williams. Just it would be me watching, maybe not, probably porn, but also YouTube videos mm-hmm. of like under the Milky Way by the church, just crying, like wet, just face <laughs> all wet, just fucking bummed, being like, tonight's the night, just might do it, you know, Evan like Williams. Evan Williams. Yeah. So trying to find that, I love that. That that it's cheers, right? man. I mean, it's cheers. And being maladjusted, like I, I did, I got the tattoo during my heavy, heavy drinking days because I, I felt outside. I still feel outside. And honestly, like the fucking rebel in me, and I know you agree, it, I don't want to be status quo. Like I don't want to, I want to be an individual. It's part of our, mm-hmm. maybe it's part of our Western American spirit or something to want to that be too. individuals. But I've always wanted to be different. That's why I got covered in tattoos. You know, people are like, do these hold any greater meaning for you? And I'm like, no, they look cool. And girls thought they were cool. And I thought I looked cool. (laughs) And maybe some of them meant something had some type of Mm -hmm. superficial, superficial meaning to them. But it wasn't like, it was always about wanting to look different and cool. Yeah. At the end of the day. Yeah. Because to me, different was cool. And I still feel like I want to look different or be different or approach life differently. But at the same point, I don't want to be fucking miserable. No. You know? No. I don't so, I don't I, want to be fucking yeah. miserable. Not anymore. Nah, this shit sucks. It's so much work. But yeah. You have to be Yeah. You have to be really strong too to fucking get up every single day and be miserable and keep doing it. And so I mean there's I don't think there's anything weak about an alcoholic. You know, I don't think that it's any there's there's that's a really good fucking point, dude. I, I really that's, don't. That's a great point. Yeah. <laughs> um, because they, they'll tell you it's a weakness of, of will or will weakness or character of s- or character or spirit. The way we reflect on alcoholism and all addictions is that you have a weakness of will. And I it always kind of bugs me when they're like, you have great willpower. And I'm like, no, dude. My willpower is shit. That's why I'm a fucking alcoholic, dude. You know, there's a lot of difference between me not being willing to pick up a drink and me having a drink and having the willpower to not have any more drinks. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? That to me is the definition of willpower is like once alcohol goes into my body, uh, 
uh, do I have the willpower to hold off? Because that storm is that flood's coming. So no. you know, no, no, you don't. But waking up every day and not <laughs> drinking—that's not willpower. I'm not sitting here struggling. Some people are, you know, and I know they are. In the beginning, you do a lot, and there are times in my life where I imagine I will. I don't think about those times though because they're not right now. Mm-hmm. But, but uh, yeah, I, I always dislike the will. Yeah, you got a lot of willpower, bro. I'm like, no, dude. I just get up every day and do what I have to do, and part of what I have to do is. Drinking isn't part of what I have to do. Drinking so. is, yeah, that's a good word. Drinking's just not part of what I have to do. Yeah. Um, and I, I found that three and a half years on sober, right. uh, at the age of 42, I don't really care so much anymore about what people think of me. And I think that that was ah. a huge, that was a huge um, motivator for what I did, how I behaved. Um, how much I drank, what I drank, what, what I wore and even, you know, so, so all, even though I wanted to be an individual and even though I wanted to, to be my own person, I still was looking for other people who would accept me in some way for who I was. And even our, our group of friends, I, I think that, I think we accepted each other, I think mostly because we saw the same flaws in ourselves in somebody else yes through alcohol and that was mm-hmm. the, that was the the lens that we we saw each other through and said oh yes this person drinks like i do so whatever whatever they're into i'm gonna be into too right and um now i don't really care if anybody thinks one way or the other about me it's really i mean i think one of my favorite lines is you know what other people think about you is none of your business Right, and I think that's a pretty. What's that from? I don't know. Somebody said oh, it to be some. A, oh, it's just a oh, saying oh. I heard. I thought it was from like a song I haven't heard yet. And, and you're like, like oh, clue me that into that. Yeah. Uh, so I feel like I'm more comfortable in being the individual that I am, and that it doesn't have mm. to be this sort of. I don't have to wave this flag in the street. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whether figurative or literally, like out in the middle of the street waving a flag because you're drunk at 3 a.m. And and you stole the flag from one of those street signs mm-hmm. and say, like, man ahead or yeah, whatever. Exactly. Or pothole. Yes, yes. So Just an orange flag. So in trying to readjust my entire... Basically, I think that I've just tried to readjust my personality because the core mm-hmm. of me is still there. I'm still funny and like to have a good time and I don't feel dour if that's the right word. I don't feel like I've lost yeah. my zest for life. Zest? <laughs> my lust for life. Your my zest. If anything, I've I've found more of it rather than that sort of, well, here we go again, gonna wake up, just gotta get through this next eight hours, and then we can I can go be the uh what did we say last week? The jolly asshole. The jolly asshole. <laughs> I called mine the Sultan of Swing. The Sultan of Swing. <laughs> yeah, but no, not because I was just swinging back and mm-hmm. forth. Mood swings. The Sultan of Mood Swings. The Sultan of Mood Swings. That's good. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I think that you know, I'm the people that I'm attracted to now are are probably some of them are misfits, but they're individuals and they're interesting people and they're people that um, are are very different and oftentimes very different from me. And I go, that's yeah. okay. It's not this sort of, oh, you're broken, so I want to be broken with you. And then we can, as long as I can stay drunk enough and and even I would use I would use you guys as to feel better about myself, right? Yes. Yeah, I mean, me we too. all did that, right? <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. Like, oh, at least I'm not as drunk as, as him. I'm not as drunk as John. I kept my pants on. Mm-hmm. And what would we do? Yeah. Talk shit behind each other's backs about each other? Oh, and... my God. Yeah, we were awful. We were like total fucking Caesar, like just stabbing each other mm-hmm. in the back all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I'd um, st- step over your burning body to get a shot of Evan Williams. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of shit. But yeah, yeah, just talking shit. And we all knew what, he, what the other person's problem was and exactly how to fix. And if only they knew. Right. And... um. So it was this severely codependent relationship. Yeah. That, you know, absolutely. Unless of course, you know, we were we were all broke and then it was like let's get together and figure out how to let's go through the couch cushions and get some money for beer, right? 
Oh my <laughs> god, yeah. Yeah. Let's oh we got we got how much for that's that's like a case of beer. We might be able to right. get a pint of whiskey. And we can even get a right. bucket of chicken. This is Bam. That we took in beer cans that day with yes, that guy and that's in, what it was. In a, we we were in a van. It was somebody had a van. Is that was so, it Ben? Maybe it was Ben. You can say his ben first name. Ben had a van, and then he had this friend who was like a metalhead dude. Uh huh. I remember. And we went and took we took change and beer cans. Took them all in bucket of chicken, pint of fucking black velvet, mm-hmm. and like a case of fucking crap beer mm-hmm. between like four of us. I remember and then now. Those two guys tapped out early because they didn't drink like you and I. I remember now. So we did. Like, we did. We collected mm-hmm. all the bottles and cans in the backyard, which was yeah immense. Guys, yeah. I got to tell you, there was there was a time where we had a homeless guy that would knock on the back fence because he knew he's like, hey, can I clean up your backyard? And he would take all the bottles and cans because we wouldn't even bother to clean the backyard. Nah, fuck <laughs> and it. it was easier. What do we need that for? Yeah. yeah, but I it was it was that there was a lot of like I wouldn't have I couldn't imagine living that way now. Going, I'm so broke. Let's go dig through the couch cushions and right. Get the redemption right. value on these cans that we already crushed. Um, to get more cans to crush, mm-hmm. yeah. But that was that commiseration and finding other people that were willing to help us with, help us obtain more booze to feed our addiction. Right. But I don't think it was so conscious. Like, I know we come back no. to the theme of doing things to get more booze, but I think for us it was more like the delusion was chasing a good time. Mm-hmm. And to not feel outside, but also chasing a good time. It was never like, I gotta get, like, we were like, we weren't like opiate junkies, like, I no. gotta get a fix. No, we were just more like, we gotta have a good time. And the only way we can have a good time is by getting fucking schnackered. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it was more like, what are we gonna do? We're bored. Let's get fucking loaded because we're bored. And then, you know what I mean? Yeah. It starts, that's when that repetitive behavior, it's all innocuous in the beginning. Hey, we're just guys in our 20s having a good time. Like, What's wrong? You know, until, you know, the good time is every fucking night and you're whatever, good you know, you're no doing whatever. Good time. Ext- yeah. The good times are killing you. Mm-hmm. you know? Like I still, yeah, I dude. still, I, I can, I still remember some days where I would drink until four in the morning and be able to get up yeah. and go to work at eight o'clock in the morning. Boom. Because you were a young, well-oiled machine, dude. You were part man, part machine <laughs> or whatever. All animal. Mm-hmm. But I mean, those times are, that's not, that's not a neither our reality. I don't know. You know, we look back on it with some fondness and sadness. It's a really weird. It's a really, I feel like it's some cognitive dissonance we have with our past because there is this fondness and remembrance, but then there's also like this, wow, like look at all of our potential. We totally fucked up, you know, like that's, but yeah, that's, that's true. I, I cause I don't want to discount any good times, but no, I also don't want to look on it with any sort of false fondness for shit that was going on and well and i also go ahead i'm sorry oh just that that i don't want to do that i i I just i think that i i want to try and of course i i was there it was my memories i don't know that i'll be able to remember them perfectly accurately without feeling or no yeah we always fuck those up people just do that Mm -hmm. you know but what i was gonna say was i also don't want to come across as portraying it like this after school special as well. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to come across and be like, it was the fucking lousiest thing ever. You know, I, I don't want to be overly dramatic. It was bad. It was really, really fucking bad. But you know, like, it, and it's been worse for others. And I'm grateful that I got to where I was when I decided to stop because things mm-hmm. have become immensely better. And that's, I think the point I make, try to make every week with this podcast is you feel outside, use this thing to cope with being outside to get back inside, but you just want to hang out with all the other outsiders, which is fine. But, you know, if your heart is in not wanting to use that false, you know, that crutch, you know, that mm-hmm. false thing to get back inside and like actually like live life, it get, it does. It gets way better. It gets way better, mm-hmm. way better. Like that's the comparison is I don't have to knuckle down on my couch for five quarters, you know, to, you know what I mean? To get a tall boy, you know, or, Whatever a tall boy called cost back then, I can't remember. Down but, you to know, my I don't... elbow looking for change. Now you got me on Coke Zeros. That's a whole other thing. Yeah. You know, I will. F- I'll take in cans for half rack of Coke Zeros. That might be the next episode. But... <laughs> uh, no, you 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 are correct. <clears throat> the the idea of being mal you know maladjusted. It, there there were lots of good times, despite being maladjusted, and it was manageable. We we were. 
<clears throat> perhaps younger, we did we had a lot less responsibility. It was easier to just say let's have fun for a lot less. And if I just look at my transition to being maladjusted to to dealing with it for 20 years and it just got worse and worse and worse. So if right. it was fun in the beginning, that's great. And then now entering into recovery trying to readjust to something that I can call normal or at least not normal than content manageable. manageable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <clears throat> because I mean, and of course I, I want, I want to wake up every day and find out where the, I want to find the joy and the happiness and the excitement and enlightenment of every single day. But it's not, I don't always have time for that. Sometimes I got to go to work or, you know, shit's got to be handled. So I just am working now on readjusting things to look at a different perspective. Like, well, how do you want, how do I want to spend my time today? Do I want to mm-hmm. drink? No, yeah. I don't want to drink. I want to, I want to, you know, spend time with people I care about, people that interest me, people that are, that are funny, that are caring, that are loving, that are kind. Uh, I want to, you know, I want to have a better relationship with people that I've had bad ones in the past, you know, whether it be with you or with my mother or, you know, any of those people that knew me back then. So that's just sort of that readjustment where I'm like, okay, well, I'm not just, I'm not going in and, you know, putting a bandaid on it and calling it good. It's this sort of full on recalibration of what is okay and what is not okay. The daily practice. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what it is, an absolute daily practice of, I mean, for me, prayer, meditation, writing. I don't always meditate. I, you know, try. I don't know. Right. It's been yeah. it's been five days, something like Man, that. I don't meditate at all anymore. <laughs> Why is that? I will start again soon. I don't know. I just don't. I've, like, work out. Maybe that's my new meditation because I've been working out. My meditation time now, I used to work out. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I still feel calm. That's like good. Like maybe, maybe fucking doing, you know, Romanian deadlifts is my meditation now. Are you doing, doing a couple hammer curls, dude? Are you doing? Are you doing? So are you lifting? Yeah, doing. Yeah, I lift weights every day. Well, yesterday I walked like mm-hmm. three miles, but yeah, I do a little dumbbell, a little Romanian deadlifts. They have this one called the Arnold Press where you fucking. It's Arnold Schwarzenegger mm-hmm. invented it, so you know. Mm-hmm. But honestly, when I'm doing it, I feel calm, but. I, th- I think our message, I, there's not even a message. I think what I want to stress is like trying to become readjusted. Like I'm not, me personally, I'm not trying to tell you that, oh, you quit, go ahead and quit drinking and get back in the workforce and live a nine to five and get a wife and a kid or a husband and a kid or whatever, you know, like, no, mm-hmm. man, find yourself. Do you do you? I always put that in my Instagram shit, but it always makes me laugh. But I'm like, you do you. Maybe you can do you a little bit better sober. Maybe not. I don't know. I've been able but to do I, me I just, <laughs> a little yeah, bit. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? I've been able to do me great sober. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody's like, damn, dude, you just don't fucking, you don't just start crying for no reason. You don't start punching things. I'm like, no, not really. Unless I'm doing a podcast, I'll cry a little if I'm reading some sad-ass letter or something. <laughs> it's, yeah, and people, I don't know, you 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 spend more time with people who knew you All day. drinking and stuff like that. Ooh. And, um, but... You know, the, uh, I know that sometimes people will say, "Oh man, you used to be so much fun." And Not as they don't say that as much, but they well, used to in the beginning. They did because I was awful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I was awful sober my early sobriety. But go ahead, Carrie. Well, carry uh, just that on. that they they weren't the ones that were with you the entire night. So even no, if they were uh-uh. like, they'd hang out and they'd be there in the first couple hours and be having fun and drinks and laughing, and then. They would go home and do whatever, and then you would still be there, and then you would be at home, and then you would be, it would be three in the morning, and and then the next morning, and you know, so I feel like those people, they weren't there for the full ride. <laughs> no, no, I used to by the end in the summer of two thousand and thirteen, mm-hmm. leading up to the summer of two thousand fourteen, because I had my last drink on July fourth, two thousand fourteen. But in that last year here in Eugene, I was drinking with two guys who were like 23 and I was like 38, 39, right? So I was like the old guy to them. 
but they used to call me one more Jerry or around the corner Jerry because like I'd always be like one more just a nightcap one more you know and I'd get more and more fucked up and they'd be like well we're gonna go home and I'm like I'm gonna go have one more and I'd go around the corner and I because I wouldn't stay at one bar because in Eugene they have you, you've been there mm-hmm. the Barmuda it's like like eight bars on right in an intersection so I would just bounce all night between bars but they were like oh one more Jerry one more Jerry you know, and they thought I was like this witty drunk guy who would fucking make jokes about your butthole seem smart. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And didn't realize like they would bounce and I would like fucking put myself through hell. You know, I would f- put myself through the worst of the worst and contemplate suicide. I'd sit alone in this house and be like, I think I'm going to fucking shoot myself tonight. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was like, yeah, they didn't come home with me. They didn't come home to that reality. They didn't live know? in your head. Nah, fuck no. I didn't have to be outwardly sad all the time. You know what I mean? Like my sadness was, I mean, I was known for that, but you know, it was some internal fucking crazy heavy shit, you know? And now here I am. I feel, I mean. In my wife's office. (laughs) (laughs) Looking around. It's, it's a, it's not, it's, it's not been easy by any means to, to look at things from a different perspective. And it was, it, it was extraordinarily hard, but I. I just feel so much better about being an outsider or being a misfit or being um, not not living a normal life. Not, I mean, you look at you look at my my living situation. You look at the jobs that I do and how I go about doing them, and mm-hmm. it's not normal at all. I mean, at forty two, I should be what? I should be I should be married. I should have kids. I should own a home. I should have a career path that is well on its way to being something I do for the rest of my life if we are to right. excuse me believe what is normal and I just I don't live that lifestyle at all and I'm very happy for that. Yeah. I wouldn't want You're not want following any of the that. status quo. No. You're ad- you're adjusted but not too adjusted. No, not adjusted to the uh no, not at all. And so I I think that that's that's an important distinction to make that it's not just about smoking cigarettes at behind 711 or you know do, yeah yeah <laughs> it's not just that kind of misfit although i did that plenty too cloves oh yeah me too i remember oh cloves yeah dude it'll crack the crackle of cloves you were talking about girls, smoking cigarettes all the pretty girls <laughs> and i would smoke cloves and listen to pretty hate machine on my walkman if oh that... <laughs> my god yeah <laughs> that was dude. that was like ninth grade for me too yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I was going to say, you found Somas and Faith No More. That and, too. Yeah. I found Being Angry in the Circle Jerks. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The band, yeah. right? The band. Yeah. Yeah. And the other one too, though. <laughs> yeah. Um, Both. And the maladjusted tattoo that you have is, you said it was crooked, right? It was put yeah, on. Yeah, they put it on crooked, right? Because you center out, you put a word in an arc, you got to find the center of the word. Mm-hmm. So when it fits on the body, it fits. So the center is between the D and the J, right? Mm-hmm. If you can imagine, I don't that. know. I think it's a, it's like a, I don't know how many letters I'd count it, but it fits between the D and the J. But when the guy lined up the stencil, he lined up the D in the center of my body instead of between the D and the J. So it's just off. It's maladjusted. It's a maladjusted, maladjusted tattoo, right? And everybody thought I did that shit on purpose, and I didn't even notice it because the stencil is not filled in. It's just an outline. Mm-hmm. So, and I was nervous because I was about to get, you know, I was hungover and about to get fucked in the stomach for a long period of time, you know, and. I was like, well, shit. Yeah, that's perfect. And then after we filled it in, I went home and I was showing it to my girlfriend. And she's like, that shit is crooked as hell. And I was like, fuck, it's totally crooked, you know? And what do you do? It's Nothing. Totally... You just, you just. Not, well, no, you know what? I can add an ellipsis to the end, which I probably will if I ever want to get my stomach tattooed, but I don't want to get my stomach tattooed again. But if I add like three periods at the end, I can actually even it out. So it'll look like it has the same weight on both sides. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing I can do. Or leave it crooked and then people are like is that on purpose i'd be like yeah dude i'm the smartest guy you know dot 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 dash 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 um i and i have a similar tattoo story um i know this is well i mean if we talk about our friendship and we talk about uh fear and loathing in las vegas and excessive drinking and and things like that the idea that i had for this tattoo was in in one part of the book he says he says he's talking about his lawyer, and he says he's one of God's own prototypes. Too weird to live, too rare to die. And I thought, that's me, yeah. man. I'm one of God's own prototypes. I am such a unique yeah. specimen of human being. 
and so on and so forth. Totally ridiculous. And I remember telling Jerry this because you had just started working. I don't know if you were apprenticing. I was apprenticing at the time. At the tattoo shop. And I was like, dude, I know what I want to get. I think I want to get on my arms. And he's like, dude, if you don't go get that, I'm going to get it. I'm just going to take it from you. And so it was this sort of like cocky um, posturing thing. And I was like, well, fuck, I got to do it. And, you know, maybe you were kind of trying to get me to get a tattoo. I was. It was a manipulation. (laughs) Yes. I I did want it too, though, but it was me manipulating you. And so I went in and I'm all excited. Jerry doesn't do the tattoo. There's another guy working there. We don't need to talk, tell his name. And we put the stencil on. I look in the mirror. I'm super excited. I'm going to get my first tattoo. Yes, yes, awesome, cool, let's go. He does the whole thing on both arms. I go out to celebrate afterwards. I wake up the next day and I realize, um, so the, 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 the phrase is two, T-O-O, too weird to, di- to live. He put uh-huh. T-O, too, too weird, too weird too rare to die. And so I call him the next day at his house and I say, dude, you misspelled (laughs) it wrong. You put the wrong two. Yeah. And he's like, Oh, well just come in. We'll see what we can do. And thankfully there was enough space on both sides to put an extra O in there. (laughs) Right. You can mash an extra. O. So if you, if you didn't know, you would say, Oh wow, that's, that's weird. You got, something tattooed on you or whatever but if yeah. you did know you could see that the extra o is too small it's so mashed in there so in this in this um this desire to want to fit in <laughs> with the misfits <laughs> we both got fucked up tattoos <laughs> pretty much yeah so that being said come on down kids the parlor <laughs> tattoo eugene oregon <laughs> I'm offering a discount, which is no discount whatsoever. He's got like 20 years experience. Um, 20 years experience. (laughs) Most of those years drunk as hell. Drunk as hell. So no, I never tattooed drunk. Anyway, I think, (laughs) I think that the important thing is to just be yourself, love yourself and uh, don't worry about fitting in where you don't fit in. No, find connectivity, Mm -hmm. but don't, you don't gotta go to cheers for that shit. No, and you don't have to get a tattoo. No, unless you want one. Once again, come see. Yes. Me. <laughs> Thanks again for listening. Our music, as always, is by Neglect. You can find more of his stuff at neglect.bandcamp.com. And you can find us on all social media platforms that matter: Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can reach us at asforalcoholic at gmail.com. Talk to you later. Yeah.